All right. Well, as you know, we are collaborating with several other churches in this series, message series that's been called Family Strong. We spent uh, the first couple of weeks talking about our own relationship with God. Then last week we talked about marriage and relationships. Today, next week, we're going to we're going to pivot a little bit. We're going to take a look at how to raise and relate to children um, or really to the next generation, whatever that is, whatever stage you're at, the next generation, uh, even above and behind you. Every generation considers itself the best generation, right? The smartest, and perhaps we are. Um, you know, I'm part of what they call Gen X. Just think 80s music, and when you think that, you think, well, obviously the best generation ever. Um, I got nothing more to say than that. So, you know, that's just how it is. We all think we are the best, but honestly, every generation feels that way. The builders, the boomers, the Gen Xers, the Gen Y, the millennials, except the thing about millennials, you millennials, you hate being in a group. You hate being called millennials and you hate being in a group because you think you're all individuals with your iPhones that all look exactly the same. Um, I really wasn't going to do that. I I took that out of my notes because that wasn't nice to say, but I couldn't resist So, um, we do love you, but we all think our own stage is the best. Um, But we may be the smartest, but are we wise? That's my question. Are Are we wise? You know, not to be a downer, but I think it's tougher today. I think it's tougher right now. Uh, than ever before to raise our families and even to live ourselves in a, in a holy, godly way. And we've got the best technology at our fingertips, right? Um, Blackberry Passport, Silver Edition, right? We've got the best technology at our fingertips. We can have a wealth of information in a second. And yet, we are, our society is more divided, more confused, more violent, more immoral, more addicted than ever before. What's going on? We're not wise. Now, we could, we could be just really complaining a lot about this or, or not. But look, there's a couple of really important things about the state of our, our world right now. Two really important things. One, this is a great time. A great time to live out your faith and proclaim the gospel. This is a, this is a great time to tell people about Jesus. Because they need him more than ever. And, and secondly... Um, it, we're, this means that we need God's help more than ever if we're going to raise not just nice families, but wise, healthy, successful families. And, and I'm using that word intentionally, successful, because Scripture talks about that. I'm talking about spiritually, emotionally, sexually, financially, relationally prosperous families, because they're good for society. And it's good for the kingdom. So we're going to read just 12 verses in Proverbs chapter 3. If, you've got, if you want to find, your, find that in your Bible, Proverbs chapter 3. If you go right in the very middle of your Bible, you get to the book of Psalms, and it's just to the right of the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in chapter 3. And, and contained in this short passage are, are a number of simple sayings that unpack some keys for us that we need to learn and to teach to one another if we're going to see this next generation truly thrive and live meaningful lives. I call it the wisdom of success. And like I say, I'm using that word success very intentionally. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word as we go to Proverbs chapter 3, starting at verse 1 for 12 verses. I read from the New Living Translation. He writes this, My child or my son, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. 
If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Verse 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then He will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when He corrects you. For the Lord corrects those He loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Like I say, there's, there's a number of instructions, but the promises of success are remarkable. Verse 2 You'll live many years. Your life will be satisfying. Verse 4, you'll, you'll win favor with God and people and have a good reputation. Verse 6, you'll show you which path to take. Verse 8, healing for your body, strength for your bones. Verse 10, fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Um, you know, verse 12, uh, the delight of the Father in you. Those are great promises of Scripture if we'll live in these ways. So we're going to sort of fly high up over this passage. And I want to point out seven qualities that you and I can practice and teach um, to others. Seven great qualities. I would call these the qualities of the wisdom of success. The wisdom of success. Um, I'm all out of order in my notes. The wisdom of success. The first one is this. It's found in verses 1 and 2. And that you, if you are wise, you are teachable. Verse 1. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you'll do this, you'll live many years and your life will be satisfying. You know, smart and successful people never stop learning. They let other people teach them. They, they want to develop and grow. Wisdom means you can accept instruction. You don't roll your eyes and, and get defensive and, and, you know, make excuses and, and just say, well, yeah, I know, I know, I know. You don't have to tell me that. You know, let people teach you stuff. When I was, uh, I was 18, I learned to play the guitar. I was sort of thrust into a situation that was with YWAM and we're on tour and, and um, they needed a worship leader for the team and I knew a couple of chords in the guitar and someone lent, lent me a guitar and that's off we went. So I was terrible um, for a long time. Not that great yet. But um, anytime I met another guitar player, I'd be like, hey, how do you do that thing? Or what's the best way to strum on that thing? Josh, I'm sure you went through the same thing that you're like asking for input because you want to be teachable. You want to get better at your craft, whatever it is. So be a teachable person. Verse one says to store these commands, literally to keep them in your heart. You know that you store things you don't need at the moment, but you're going to need later, right? So, you, not everything that you're taught is applicable right now. You don't need everything in Scripture and everything you learn. You don't need it right at this very moment, but you're going to need it sometime. So you store those things in your heart. 
you might not even understand why you need to learn something, why you're being taught something, why your parents or teachers are instructing or asking you to do something. You think, ah, listen, you've got to trust that the leaders in your life, your parents, teachers, grandparents, mentors, pastors, trust that they're giving you something that you're going to need eventually. And if not, you're for yourself, something to give away to someone else. Now, to be teachable assumes that there are teachers in our life. So parents and grandparents, especially, teach. Teach. You've got to pass that on. The goal of raising children is not to control them, nor to teach them what to do in every situation, but to teach wisdom so they can make their own decisions. This is one of these things that I wish I'd learned much earlier in my parenting career. Um, but you, you want to teach your kids the ability to be wise and make their own decisions. Um, teach independence skills so they can choose for themselves. And some examples I would say is like an eight-year-old can pack their own lunch for school. And if they forget, they won't die. They'll remember tomorrow. Right? A, a ten-year-old can mow the lawn without cutting off their toes. A fifteen-year-old can do their own laundry. Uh, some of you are still getting your teens, your kids, and your teens out of bed in the morning, right? When they should be using an alarm clock and getting themselves out of bed in the morning and into the shower and dressed and off for school. Why? You're not helping them if you don't teach them this stuff that they gotta do for themselves. So teach them and, and, the, and we all need to be teachable. So the wisdom of success starts with being teachable at every age, whatever age we're at. Because it will improve the very quality of your life, as verse 2 says. Well, we should keep going. Verses 3 and 4 say this, Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart and you'll find favor with God and people and earn a good reputation. I would say, uh, if you're wise, then you are loving and loyal to God and to people. You're loving and loyal to God and to people. Depending on your translation there, it's loyalty and kindness, or it might say love and faithfulness, the love and faithfulness of God. Look, those are the very qualities of God. God's love, God's, un, God's faithfulness, His loving kindness. Those are the very qualities of God which were to permanently imprint onto our lives, deep in a, into us. Deep into us, like, like, Tie them to yourself. Write them into your heart. It's like it's a it's a reference to the how the Jews were supposed to practice their own scriptures and their laws to literally bind them to themselves. Now, why would we do that? Because love. Here's why. Because love and loyalty endear you to God and endear you to people. They they make you magnetic. People like being around someone who's loyal and kind, who's loving and faithful. It grants you a good reputation with God and with people. Think of the uh, lovable Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings stories. Whether, whether you read the books or watched the movies or just heard about them, you know that there's Frodo, and Frodo has this task of, of dropping the ring right into the, the, the crack of doom and the fires of Mordor. And, well, he would never um, have made it, I don't think, without the intense love and loyalty of who? Sam, his buddy Sam. I honestly think Sam's the real hero of that story. Thank you. But Sam's not a hero for his accomplishment. Sam's a hero for his character. Because he's loving and he's loyal to his friend. Isn't that amazing? That's what makes him heroic. Be that. Be that way. Be loving and loyal. 
let's be loving and loyal to people and to God ahead of our programs and our facilities. For example, I love the amazing Vacation Bible School we've run here for years at Bethany. It's, it's epic, honestly, in its reputation. But our commitment isn't to a program. Our commitment isn't to, to, to the tool that that is. Our commitment is to the people who don't know Jesus yet, the children and their families who haven't met Jesus yet. And so we just use tools to reach them. So this year, it just so happens, we're going to do something a little different. Now, why? Because we're, we're faithful, we're loyal to the mission that God's called us to. We're faithful and loyal to people and to God rather than to a program. So the wisdom of success means you're teachable and you're loving and you're loyal. Well, what else? Um, look at verses 5 and 6 with me. You love these verses, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all you do and He will show you which path to take. You trust in God's ways. You trust in God's ways. It's one of those super loved, well-memorized verses. Many of you know this verse by heart. If you have in the NIV, it's got that, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Isn't that a good word? That's so descriptive. You lean into something. Like, you really trust something. You really want it to move. You really want it to be involved. You lean in. That's the, that's the sense of, of what we're called to do. And not lean on our own wise ideas, but to Acknowledge the Lord or says submit, I think is how the new NIV puts it. Submit to the Lord in all his things, seeking his will. Because that's the question. Well, how do you trust the Lord with all your heart? Verse 6 is the clue. By seeking his will or submitting to him or acknowledging him in all your ways. Making reference to God and whatever you do. Hey, is this how God would want me to do this? What's the, what's the best way to achieve this? You trust God's ways. You actually seek to do things God's way. Not your way and then hope that God will cover for you later. If you want to win in life, seek God and let him give you some life direction. Because let's be honest, some of us are just directionless in life. We, we, we go to church or school or work or, or, or we pay the bills, we eat dinner, you know, we watch a movie, play a game, whatever. But we've got no clear, stated purpose, no direction in life. We're just sort of hanging on and just kind of drifting. Maybe you don't even know why you're here. I, I think it's one reason some people make themselves super busy because we say, if we can say, well, I'm really busy, we feel like, you know, I must be accomplishing important things. And I know that there's really busy seasons of life. Just be careful you don't so paint me with a wrong brush there. But the point is, do you have a direction in your life? Like, do you know where you're going? Do you have a sense of following what the Lord would have for you? Julie, I loved your story this morning. You were raised here. You follow the Lord. Great family. You're faithful to Him. You, you, you went to Tabor College because there was uh, some, maybe it's kind of a partly in the family, but partly like you liked what they had to offer. But all that time you're submitting it to the Lord. And then you come, you're there and you hear about this internship program that happens to be in Fresno and happens to be at our sister church. And in that time, you've been acknowledging and testing the Lord's will for your life. So you tried it out a little bit with an internship. Then you tried a little bit more with the internship in Denver. Right. And now you're trying a little bit further with a two year commitment in Germany. That's a great example of how you test, how you acknowledge the Lord in all your ways and let him give some direction to your life. It's wonderful. Trust the Lord for direction. Submit to him. Consider God's will in all your decisions where to study where to 
where to work, um, who to date, who to marry, what car to buy, um, you know, what, where to get involved in the church and the community. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean unto Him instead of your own understanding. Let's move to the next couple verses the, that you see. Verse 7 says, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. The wisdom of success means that you're humble. You're humble. That's a great line. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Or other translation puts it, don't be wise in your own eyes. Man, I love that line. Because the wise person can admit the more he or she learns, the less you know. I was telling the first service in a previous a church where I worked, I, I was also the computer guy, the IT person, and um, that's pretty laughable if you know me, but apparently I knew more than anybody else. I knew just enough to break stuff, um, which is somebody's job security. But uh, the, the, the point is that, that um, what is the point of that? I, as I got into that, I, I realized, man, there's so much that I don't know. I need more help. I need to ask. There's more I have to learn. The, the, the wise person is humble. We all know somebody who's wise in his own eyes. Right? Someone for whom a little humility would help a lot. Um, Michael Clark and I were having a laugh a little bit earlier this week because we're both following the San Jose Sharks. who are now in the Stanley Cup final. Woo-hoo, go Sharks. And, uh, but um, Joe Thornton, one of the, the top players, really got himself in a little bit of trouble last week. They lost... First game against St. Louis, and then games two and game three, they just came out and they just awesome. They just slaughtered the Blues. It was fantastic. And so uh, a reporter at a press conference asked Joe Thornton, who's, you know, a little older, and then basically the reporter was saying, you're so old, how come you can still play well? But she said, what do you attribute your success to at this stage in your career? And he said, well, I'm just a really good player. Oh. And then he said, uh, you know, and I've got really good teammates, and I really like our game right now, yada, yada, yada. But I thought, uh-oh. Well, the next game, they got slaughtered 6-3, and that's only because they got a couple lucky goals. I just thought, you know, humility is a, is a good thing. The Bible teaches that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Verse 34 in this very chapter says, the Lord mocks the mockers, but is gracious to the humble. Be very, very careful. A wise person is humble. Now, one benefit um, here is that humility is physically, physically healthy. It's literally good for your body. Um, to, to, you, you know, I think you'll find your, your blood pressure may go down and your, your stress level may go down if you're humble and you're not having to project that you're just kind of this, all that, all the time. A wise person is humble. Well, what else? Um, verse, verses 9 and 10 say this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce and he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. I don't have any barns. Um, but hey, they will overflow with grain. Um, what, what are we saying here? You're generous. If, you, if you're wise, you're generous. The writer is very specifically talking about money here. So let's talk about money for a moment. Your favorite thing to talk about in church. Because there's generosity of attitude and you can be generous with compliments and generous with your time and your words. But he's talking here about dollars. 
So let's talk about that for a moment. Verse 9 says to honor God with the best part of your wealth. Well, what's, what does that mean? Literally, it's the first fruits of what you, of your crops, of what you earn, what you produce with your labor. The first fruits. What is that? That's, that's the first portion of what we would call the tithe. Now, the writer is making a promise here that God will bless you when you bless God with the best of your earnings. I'm, I'm not making that up. I'm not a prosperity preacher. I'm not kind of promising you give and you'll get wealthy. It's the, the goal here is that we honor the Lord with our wealth. Some people try to honor themselves by, you know, giving lots of money away. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about honoring the Lord. Honor the Lord with the best part of your wealth. And the Lord will bless. When you seek to bless God, God will bless you. It's a promise from Scripture. I'm just reporting what we read. Now, the tithe did not start with the Jewish law, with, with Moses and the tablets and all that stuff. That's, that's not where it started. The first biblical record of the tithe is when Abraham tithed to a priest named Melchizedek. And a tithe means, quite literally, a tenth. So don't say, I tithe 2%. Um, because then that's not a tithe. The tithe is a tenth. That's literally what it is. And you, you, whatever you give, um, a tithe is encouraged in Scripture as a starting point. Now, let me say this. If you're not tithing, you're not going to hell. Okay? You're, not, you're not a sinner for not tithing. I will say this. If you're not tithing, you're stunting your spiritual development. You're shortchanging yourself on what God wants to do in your life. You're limiting it. You're putting a cap on it of God's blessing. You're fundamentally trusting yourself instead of trusting God. You're saying, God, I don't have enough and I I can't trust you to supply. So I'm going to hold more. I'm going to hold it in. And uh, if, if I can afford to give, I'll give some later. I'm not going to give off the best. God, I'm going to give you what's left over. No, that doesn't sit right with me. We're being taught here to honor the Lord with your wealth, with the best part of what you produce. If you're not tithing, you may even be struggling to make ends meet. That's part of it because the destroyer is taking what belongs to God. There's a longer message in there. Look, I dare you just to try this. This is the only thing in Scripture where God says, test me in this. Try it out, God says, Malachi 3. Just give it a go. And if you think I'm just doing this to sort of try to raise money for us, if you think I'm somehow disingenuous here, start your tithe in another church for all I care, if, if, that's, if that's your issue. Tithe it to Butler or North Fresno or Mountain View or some other place. But I'm, the tithe... The principle of the tithe is that it goes to the, your, your place of your worship, the place where you, where you... So Becky and I, we tithe a tenth of what we earn and more to the, to the church. That's where we go. And then we can give other places as well. But that's our desire to do that. But if you don't trust me, try it somewhere else and see how it goes. Honor the Lord with the best part, the first fruits. Trust Him in these things. Because that's what a wise person is. A wise person is generous. Generosity means other things too. If you're generous, you know, you'll love to see other people succeed and do well. And you'll seek to be generous with your, you know, employees, if you have employees, your staff, your waitress, um, 
waiter, those people in your lives, nothing reveals our trust in the Lord. Nothing displays our heart more than how tightly or loosely we grip money. It's really important. So, the wise, uh, the, the success of wisdom means we're generous. Two more things, both out of the last two verses, 11 and 12. Verse 11 says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when He corrects you. For the Lord corrects those He loves just as a father corrects a child in whom He delights. The wisdom of success means you accept correction. The wisdom of success means you accept correction. Now, who here likes being corrected? Who likes being told you're wrong? No, none of us. In fact, um, Hebrews 12, 11 says it this way, No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. It is possible, especially as parents, to discipline out of anger or insecurity or frustration or powerlessness. That does happen. The goal of discipline really is not punishment. The goal of discipline is not about establishing who's boss. Hey, I'm in charge here. The goal of discipline is not to sort of force someone to respect you. You're going to pay me respect. No. The goal of discipline, the goals of discipline are behavior correction, to correct misguided behavior, and to restore relationship connection. So correction and connection. Why? Because, you know, if um, um, I'm going to create, let's say I have an imaginary uh, uh, daughter, and I say, uh, Susie, I want you to go mow the lawn, and she refuses to do that and just doesn't do that. Um, what's happened? Not only has she disobeyed, but but we now have a broken relationship. Why? Because she knows she's misbehaved, and she will avoid, she will stay away. She will pull herself away from me. There's now a broken relationship. So discipline does two things. One, its its goal is to correct her wrong behavior, but even more so, to restore a relationship with her father. Do you see that? See that importance, that connection? That's what your heavenly father is doing. He, he will correct you. Why? Because he delights in you. What does that mean? He wants to be in relationship with you. That's why discipline happens. So parents, um, you always want to discipline in a way that acts. How can I correct and connect? How can I draw this relationship back close? Now, it's not always obvious when we're being corrected or disciplined by our Heavenly Father. Some people go through things and think, I think the Lord's just trying to teach me something. You know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah, sometimes the reason is that you're, you know, stubborn and selfish and you make bad decisions. That's, don't blame God for that. Right? Um, every, like a good parent, the Heavenly Father, um, knows what you need, but doesn't give you necessarily everything you want or ask for. Because he knows what's good for you. Sometimes a good parent actually takes something away because it's what's best for the child. Even though it doesn't feel good. It may be their way to get their attention or to correct behavior. God's correction might even come through another person speaking into your life. It may not feel good, but the wisdom of success means you accept correction. And then there's one more in verse 12. I, I love this. And if you remember nothing from today, can you remember this? This kind of wisdom means that you know you're loved. You know that you're loved. 
See, this really is the best part. Religion says this. Try harder. Do good. Work hard. Hopefully God notices. Faith says God's already noticed you. He's already loved you. So trust in Him. Receive His free gift of salvation. And you're... You're, you're right with him. Now, to the, from the outside, the person, the religious person who tries hard and the, the person of faith who trusts God might, their activities might all look the same. But internally, it's a totally different world. This person's stressed and trying harder and hoping for the best. This person already knows, I already know that God loves me. I already know that I'm accepted and therefore I want to live a life that pleases him. Out of that. You see, some of you think, I don't know, if God really knew what I was like, you know, if God really sees what I'm, what I'm like, he's going to reject me. Friend, God saw you before you were born, and he still died for you. The Bible says it this way, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's already known what you're going to be up to, and yet still went to the cross for you. And when you, when you trust God for salvation, it's impossible for the Father to reject you. Do you know that? If you have faith, it is impossible for the Father to reject any person who puts faith in Him. So, God's a Father who delights in His children. You need to know that you're loved. It's like that song that's been on the radio. You're, you know, it's a good, good Father. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's just a profound, simple truth of Scripture. Look, I I want you to be wise. I want to be wise. I I want you to teach wisdom, and I want to teach wisdom to the following generations. I I want you to take what you're taught and, and store it deep in your heart, whether you need it today or whether you need it ten years from now. Place it in there. I want us to learn to trust the Lord completely, to lean onto Him, to acknowledge Him in all our ways. Is that true for you? Is that where you're at? Do you want to be wise? Do you want the wisdom of success in your life? I just encourage you to, to enjoy and ponder and meditate on these, these simple verses. Let's close in prayer. Lord, um, we are, I confess, sometimes we think we're pretty smart. And we have amazing resources at our disposal at any moment. But Lord, only in you can we really be wise. And that's really what we want to be. Lord, I, I don't need to, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room, Lord, I, I, but I do want to be wise, God. God, we want, to, we want to experience these kinds of success that you're talking about. Health, long life, prosperity, love, good reputation. Lord, those are amazing promises. Almost too good to be true, except you made them. If we'll pursue you, if we'll put our trust in you, if we'll seek to be wise in that way. God, for, for whatever place we're at today, God, would you be stirring in us those spots where we need to pay some attention, whether it's humility or generosity, Lord, whether it's being teachable, whether it's learning to trust you, whether it's accepting correction, Lord, whatever it is, God, would you stir that in our heart even this week so we can be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name. Amen.